Um, you notice we have something new up here today. Um, uh, good news, I'm, uh, you, you don't have to watch me writing on an ESO anymore and try to figure out what I'm writing. <laughs> and uh, this, uh, this is really, really going to be nice for us to have. Today we're going we're gonna to talk about suffering. And I would say that one of the realities of life that deeply touches your own life, when you're in ministry, and you really don't even have to be in ministry for this to be true, is the suffering of other people. Whatever that suffering might be, but especially suffering that isn't just a, a minor irritation or interruption in life, but suffering that's life-changing, very serious, and suffering that stays with somebody for a very long time. I don't know about you, but every time I come up close to somebody else's suffering, I want to fix it. I want to I take it away so they don't have to, you know, go through all the heartache and pain and that, that goes with it. But I got to tell you that as much as, if, perhaps even more, than the desire I have to take away suffering and make, it, make everything right, is the concern that I have for somebody who is in the midst of suffering, that they're going to be able to persevere through it. And, and I, I have this concern because in, uh, in these years of ministry that I've had, I've seen people take one of, one of two paths when it comes to suffering in their lives. I've, I've seen them either take a path that is destructive or a path that can be very good for them. Many, many times. I, I have, and it, it's just always been a scary thing for me to see happen, is to see somebody take that destructive path where they begin to make choices in, in the midst of their suffering that are not good for them, that, that they, it could be poor relational choices, moral choices, financial choices. And, and most serious of all is when I see somebody walk away from God because of their suffering. That, to me, is, is, is just incredibly tragic. And then on the other hand, I, I have seen people that, instead of being overwhelmed by their suffering, what happened was they took a path where they made the right decisions, good decisions, good actions, and they persevered through their suffering. And as a result, they came out on the other end of it better and stronger, a better person and stronger person. And I would say that almost without exception, what made the difference between those two different people is the perspective that they had on life. What, what they understood mattered most and, and what it was that they based their life on, really their outlook on all, all of life, their perspective on life made all the difference. A few weeks ago when uh, Jeff did the first sermon in this series that we're doing in the eighth chapter, he uh, mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, uh, in fact, I, I've, Jeff is in the same group of guys that I'm taking through the uh, Eric Metaxas biography on Bonhoeffer, and if, if there's any book I, I, I wish I could get every single one of you to read, it's, it's that biography on Bonhoeffer, and the reason why, the number one reason why is because Bonhoeffer had this right, he had the right perspective on life, and here was this guy, he, he, he had everything going for him, life could have been very easy for him in many ways, and yet he put his life 
on the line in order to save his own nation from destruction and to rescue as many Jewish people from death as he possibly could. And, and if you know his story, he ended up being in prison, and in the end, he, he died. He, his life was taken. He didn't have to have any of that. He could have avoided all of that suffering in his life, but he, he wasn't going to do that because the thing that Bonhoeffer, he was, he was just committed to doing everything he could to help his nation become the nation it should be, and to rescue other people from suffering. And the only reason he did that is because of what he was basing his life on, what it was that was the most important to him, and that was his perspective, his perspective on life. I, um, I look at all of that, and one of the things, and, and you know, you, when, I, when I use the example of Bonhoeffer, I don't want you to misunderstand that because in a certain sense, we all have, it, 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 it's not, you know, I mean, that's like way up there in terms of dealing with something that's difficult, what he had. But in some ways, we all have our own Hitlers, we all have our own prisons. Every single one of us at some point will go through intense suffering in our lives. It's unavoidable. We, if, you ha if it hasn't happened to you, yeah, you haven't lived long enough, okay? Because it, it does happen. You go through it. And what I've seen, I, mean, I can just tell you over and over again, in all these years I've been a pastor, the thing that I, I have seen that makes a difference for people in their ability to persevere through suffering is if they got the right perspective on life. Which is why the verses of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, 14 verses, why why they're so important to us, because what they do is they, they show us this, they affirm this truth that, that our perseverance, perseverance is based on perspective. It's based on perspective. Man, I, if you want to write something down that you take home with you today, that's the one you want to remember, because that, that makes all the difference in our life. Perseverance is based on having the right perspective. Now, what, as, I, as I read these verses, I, it, it happens to me almost without exception. I, 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 to some extent or another, I get blown away by what I learned from God's Word. And, and, and I, I started out and, and on, on Monday morning working on the sermon. And, and by Wednesday, I discovered four perspectives that were given on suffering that could make all the difference. And... Every one of us are at different points with this experience of suffering. And, and you might find that all four, they, they just really speak into you today. Or you might find just one of them. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that you're going to find at least one. And I, I think maybe all of them will be helpful. So here's the first one, first perspective. God is our Father. This takes us uh, back to our, the sermon last Sunday and verse 15 where we looked at the whole thing that it's possible for us to have this very close fellowship, very close intimate relationship with God. And Paul made this statement. He said, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Remember I, I mentioned, you know, sometimes we wonder, what, it is, you know, what is it that the Holy Spirit does? And here's one of them right here. The Holy Spirit 
helps us understand and makes it possible for us to be able to cry out to God as our Father in, in a very intimate way. Almost like we would use the word daddy, the word mommy. Very, very intimate, very close relationship with God. Now, one of, one of life's fears, wouldn't you agree, is suffering. Am I going to have to suffer? And again, we learn what we learned last Sunday that really it makes all the difference in our ability to persevere through suffering. The truth that you're a, you're a child of God. You're a child of the creator of the universe. You're a child of God who is infinitely powerful, infinitely wise. You're a child of the God who loves you so much that he sent his son to save you from your sin. And as, as a child of this God, you can cry out to you. God in the midst of your suffering, knowing, knowing that God loves you, God will care for you, and God will care for you with all of his wisdom and all of his power. Now, i got to tell you, the thing that makes all the difference with this, and I, I talked about it last Sunday, is having your daily time with God. You've you, you got to be, if, if you're going to be able to persevere through suffering, you've got to be filling your heart and your mind with God's truth from God's word so that you can understand what is true about God and what is true about you and what really matters in life. And I, I know this is true. I've seen it happen too many times to not be convinced that it's true. Build this daily time with God into your life. And when you come up against the brutal stuff of life, you're going to have all of the strength that you need to persevere. You're going to have the best care that God can provide. And it's not that God's going to take you out of that suffering, but God's going to give you the wisdom and the strength that you need to persevere through it. So that's the first one. The second perspective is the perspective of, of Christ's suffering. And this brings us to verse 17. Where Paul said, now if we are children, then we're heirs, we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. It helps you, everybody, to keep perspective on your own suffering, to remember the suffering of Jesus Christ for you. The truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could have remained distant and removed from all of the suffering in this world, but he didn't. He, he became part of with us in our humanity, and because of that, he experienced all the suffering that we experience on, in life. Emotional suffering, physical suffering, every, every single bit of it. But you know what? He went beyond anything that you and I will ever experience as far as suffering, and that is he took on himself the, the, the agony of the judgment of God for, for all of our sin. So when you're in the midst of your suffering and you're tempted to rationalize sin, to make poor choices, let me tell you, that happens, that's a temptation that happens to all of us when we're in suffering. You know, to go down any kind of destructive path, the thing that is so important to do is to stop and think about the suffering of Jesus Christ for you. This is so important. Because when hard times come, it's easy. I can tell you this from experience. 
it's easy to get into self-pity, you know, to, to where, where we think to ourselves, life's not fair, and why should I have to go through this? And when we do, it becomes very easy for us to think we can do whatever we want to do, and very often, even to, to do things that are destructive to us and destructive to people around us. And I, I'll say it again. I say that this morning knowing how easy it would have been for Becky and I to go down the wrong path when our son Greg died. I mean, there's so many lies you can tell yourself. And so I can tell you from from God's word and from my own experience, it's a powerful check on your own attitude to remind yourself of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And so you know what you might do, just very practically, uh, re- read a, a scripture like in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah chapter 53 that describes the suffering of Jesus Christ or, or at, at, toward the end of each one of the Gospels. Read, read what he went through and his, his death on the cross, his crucifixion, the suffering. That puts a real check on everything. Also remember what that verse is pointing us to. The suffering's not a rare exception, but it's a normal part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Again, look at this statement that Paul said. He said, now if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, share in his sufferings. One of the biggest mistakes we can make is to think that suffering is an anomaly, <laughs> you know? You know what you do if you think that? If you think it's an exception, that it's not, a, it's not to be a part of our life as followers of Christ, you set yourself up for disappointment. You, you, ju- you really do. You set yourself for, uh, for all the different kinds of destructive behavior. You see, the real truth is followers of Jesus Christ have always suffered for their faith in Christ if they want to make that faith known t- to others. Paul himself. I mean, you might go and uh, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you'll see what kind of suffering he went through. I mean, Paul spoke from experience. And then there's the perspective of eternity. Again, verse 17. I love this verse. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It was last week, wasn't it, that all the stockholders for Berkshire Hathaway were in town? I, I checked on this this week and found out that one share right now goes for about $191,550. One share. It would be kind of fun to own like two or three of those, wouldn't it, or a hundred? Uh, but you know what? It would be far better to be one of uh, Warren Buffett's three children. I checked on this. As of last Wednesday... He's worth $65.4 billion. I like the point. I love that. Point four. Uh, you know, so if you divide that up, I, I did my math, or actually pulled out my calculator. Uh, they, each child would get $21.8 billion. But you know what? Better yet, better yet to be one of Bill and Melinda Gates' three children, because he's worth even more. They're worth more. Uh, as of last Wednesday, $77.3 billion. And so divided up, each one of their children would inherit $25.7 billion. So, no. Peanuts. Compared to what you and I are going to inherit, peanuts. 
Last Sunday, I mentioned my fascination with the universe and the understanding it gives me of the God who made it. You know what? Even with something like the Hubble's telescope, you and I only have a, 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 this minute glimpse of how enormous and beautiful the universe really is. And all of it belongs to Jesus Christ. All of it belongs to Jesus Christ. And as God's children, we're heirs of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. Wow. So that, you know what that means? That means we got a piece of real estate up there, you know, out there in the universe. But it gets even better. Even better. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, you know, I think we all know houses are selling real fast right now. And so if Becky and I wanted to, we could probably put our house up on the market next week and, and sell it within a month, you know. But I think it would probably be better for us to do some yard, work in our yard first. Because here's why. Let me show you a picture of our yard. That's our backyard. It's about 80% dirt uh, right now. Something happened to our yard over the winter. I don't, we had a full yard of grass last summer. And, um, and now it's like nothing. It's bad. It's really bad. That it's, it's just almost all dirt. You, you know what happened to our yard? Uh, same thing that's happening to the universe. The second law of thermodynamics is going on. It's falling apart. It's deteriorating. It's fading right in front of us. You know, our backyard. Imagine that. You know what? It, 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 it's, it's one very, very small, minute example of what's happening in our universe. Paul, Paul tells us this in verse 19 and 20 and 21. He said, he said, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated, and I love this statement, liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. As it is today, creation's amazing. I mean, look at these pictures. It's unbelievable. Isn't that beautiful? You know, Grand Canyon. Redwood forest, just waterfalls. I mean, ah, oh boy, I got to tell you, when we've been with Nikki in Seattle, there are some incredible waterfalls around Seattle. And then, you know, love that. Uh, that was from my backyard. Uh, <laughs> neighbors, we got really rough neighbors. Yeah. Dogs are nothing anymore. In fact, they're gone. All the dogs are gone. Okay. You know, but you know what? Creation's amazing. Yet these verses are telling us that creation is just a shadow of what it's going to be. Just a shadow. Which explains why it's groaning. I love this statement. It goes, we know that the whole creation has been groaning us in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You thought I forgot it was Mother's Day. Yeah? And then, thank you, Mom, right? Have you ever thanked your mom? You know, this is, this is what we're talking about. It's so descriptive. I confess this at least once a year. You know, it's good for the soul. And that is when Becky was giving birth to Greg in the middle of the night. You know, we'd gone to Lamas and there shouldn't be any medicine. They said, do it without medicine. And, and about halfway through, the nurse asked Becky if she, wanted, if she wanted to have a shot. And she said, yes. And you know what I said? Are you sure? Yeah, 
Somebody said to me, I'm surprised there was ever a second child, but <laughs> all right. Okay. So as amazing as creation is now, it's only a shadow of what it's going to be. And it's groaning in its frustration. The day's coming when it's all going to change. It's going to be liberated from every bit of decay and destruction and disorder. And so what you and I are going to inherit goes beyond anything we see right now. Absolute perfection is what we're going to inherit. What about us? You kind of go, you kind of wonder about us, right? So here's how Paul describes us in verse 18. This is really great. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Us. Not just creation. Us. Our future glory. Fun to think about, isn't it? Fun to think about. I, I love Paul's description of us in verse 21 where he describes creation's liberation from decay. He said, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And you say, you ask yourself, freedom from what? Freedom from sin and death and everything that comes with it. But it's not just freedom from what. It's freedom for. It's what we can be. <laughs> It's not having anything holding us back anymore from being everything God would have us be. And you might wonder to yourself, well, how far does this go? I think John had it right in this one of the little letters he wrote at the end of, of the New Testament. And first, you know, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And in that first letter, 1 John, he said that when we see Jesus Christ, we'll be like him. Be like him. Wow. Not just fabulous, yeah. So how does this help us to persevere when we're going through suffering? I mean, that, that's really the $60,000 question, right? Well, think of it this way. Let's say you put two people in two different rooms, all right? Maybe be a room, each one could be in a room this size. And, and, uh, and, and, and you give them uh, identical work to do. Tedious work, menial work, hard physical labor, kind of thing that you would imagine anybody wouldn't want to do. And, and you say to them, you, you, you're talking to both of them at the same time now. You haven't taken them into their own rooms yet. And you say, so what you're going to do is you're going to work six days a week. You're going to work at least 10-hour days. And you're not going to get any kind of a vacation until you've worked for 12 months. And then you put them each in their own room, and, and then you go to the guy in the first room and you say, and, and, and here's what your annual salary is going to be. You're going to get $15,000 at the end of the year for doing this. And then, and then you go to the guy in the other room and you say to him, uh, you tell him, this is what your annual salary is going to be. You're going to get $150 million at the end of 12 months. So, you do this, and these two guys are going to experience identical circumstances in radically different ways. The first guy is going to be like a, a one week into it, or two weeks into it, or three weeks into it, and he's going to say, this is crazy. 
I'm not going to do this anymore for $15,000 at the end of the year. Absolutely nuts. I quit. And you go to the other room, and the guy's doing his work, and he's whistling. He's having a really good time. He's thinking about the $150 million he's going to get at the end of the year. Same circumstances, entirely different perspective, because the tediousness of it, the difficulty of it, the trial of it, is absolutely shadowed by the glory that will be revealed. In other words, everybody, this is, this is so important. How you experience your present is completely shaped by what you believe your ultimate future will be. Your ability to persevere in the hardest of times is determined by your grasp of eternity and the glory that will ultimately be yours. One more perspective, and perhaps I, th I think perhaps it's the most valuable of all, and it's the perspective of purpose. I'm just going to touch on this very lightly because it's going to be part of what Jeff is going to talk about next Sunday as he talks about ending well. But Paul said this, verse 28, he said, we know that in all things, all things, even suffering, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You know, I found over and over again, when you come up against suffering in your life, whether in your life or in the life of somebody else you love, one of the things you want to know is whether there's any redeeming purpose in that suffering. It, it doesn't take away the pain or the difficulty or the challenge of it, but it does give you strength to pers persevere. i got to tell you, it gives you incredible strength. And what Paul writes here in this 28th verse points us to the purpose in suffering. Suffering's included in the all things that God works for the good of those who love him. And that is, not only did it work good in us, but it makes it possible for us to bring honor and glory to God. And there's nothing more important to that. And the best part of that good is you and me becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And so Paul, right in the next verse, goes on and he said, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, I always hear the thing of, you have your first child, you have your second child, and like, are they from the same family? You know, and then you have your third one, and, and then you go on, and then you have your last one, and he's, he's the best, or she's the best, all Right? Last child? Um, uh, guess what? I was born last. So dumb joke. All right. Anyway. But you know what? Ultimately, God's desire is for there not to be this difference between us and the first child, the ultimate child, his son. We're to be like Jesus. Loving and, I mean, just think of all the things that are true of him. Kind and understanding and wise and patient. You just go on and on. It's for us to be able to be like Jesus Christ and become more and more like him. It doesn't get better than that. Now, here's what I love. Here's where Paul points to the work of the Holy Spirit. You wonder, you wonder to yourself, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, here, let me show you another one. 
I love this. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Love that. The Spirit. Got a lot of groaning in this passage, right? The Spirit groans for us. He's, he's praying for us with such deep feeling that there's just at times just pain inside of him. He feels this so deeply. So let me ask you, any one of you look back on your life and you'd say, I prayed, well, let me put it this way, I'm thankful God didn't answer that prayer. Anybody? Anybody ever pray a stupid prayer or a short-sighted prayer or a selfish prayer? I have. And Paul's absolutely right. I, I don't always know what I ought to pray for. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if God always gave you what you would have asked God to give you if you knew everything God knows? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if God never answered things he knew weren't good for you, but he always answered what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows? Wouldn't that be great? You know what? We do have a God like this. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The text is saying that, that the Spirit of God, when you and I just do not know how to pray, and we pray things that just really aren't the best things for us to pray, the Spirit of God takes over, and, and he prays for you. He prays for me. He prays for the will of God to be done in our lives. You know what, if you're able to process your suffering before God like this, there's going to be a calmness in you, a groundedness in you, and a strength to persevere. You know, honestly, I, I don't think there could be any better subject to talk about on Mother's Day or Father's Day than persevering through suffering, than this truth. Perseverance is based on perspective. I've got to tell you, everybody, and I can say this from experience. Having 25 years with a mother who suffered more than I think anybody could suffer, really, as much as anybody could suffer, and I saw her persevere through it. I saw her persevere through it. I, I don't know what greater gift a child could have from a parent. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your wisdom. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful, God, that you answer our prayers. You always answer our prayers, but you answer them knowing what's best for us and what will bring you glory and what will be best for every person whose life we impact. We thank you. And Father, I pray for any one of us here this morning who's in the midst of suffering. I ask for perspective. 
I ask for your strength and for your wisdom. In Christ's name, amen.